Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure to introduce you to my guest, Kevin Chan. Hey Kevin, how are you? Hey Blair, great to see you. We're just 12 hours apart because I'm over here oh. in Singapore, so like, let me tell you, Yeah, let me tell you how excited I am. I told my husband today, hey, today is my first international interview. <laughs> Awesome. I hope it's a good one. I hope it's a good one. It's going to be great. So for those of you listening right now, I am recording on a Friday evening at 9 p.m. And Kevin is meeting me on the on the following day, Saturday morning, where he is in Singapore at uh, 9 a.m. So, Kevin, again, thank you so much for making the time to talk with me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited. Um, well, without further ado, Kevin, could you tell me a little bit more about why you're here and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think why I'm here, I think I'm just here to kind of share a little bit about my career path and like maybe things I've done um, and maybe share just a little bit because I feel like it's a bit of an unknown world, um, especially when I was growing up. And I still feel like it's a bit of like a hidden gem. Mm-hmm. So I do want to share that a little bit. Um, and what I do is my official title, if you go out into the tech industry, I'm known as a pre-sales engineer. Um, and here in my, um, where I work at, I'm actually a pre-sales engineer manager. So I run a team of technical, uh, pre-sales engineers throughout Southeast Asia. Um, and a lot of people just, they don't know what pre-sales engineer is. So I'm going to try to break that down. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so unknown. Um, and I didn't discover pre-sales engineers. So probably five, six years ago myself, to be honest. So before you before <laughs> yeah. you go on though, so your company you work for is Citrix, correct? Citrix, yeah. And Citrix is what kind of company? So we are a uh, we are a software company mm. first and foremost, and um, we started our roots in what's known as a virtual desktops or VDI. So if you're more in the tech industry, um, but we evolved along the way. Now we do things that are very cloud related. Um, so we do things with, you know, secure access into corporate applications. Um, and I've seen a lot of folks on this podcast who are probably from the medical field. Um, so um, in that sense, I'm just going to try to tie in a little bit of relevance. So if you're in the medical field, a lot of chances you're probably using some sort of a patient record system, um, call those EMRs. Very likely you're using something like Epic or Cerner um, or Allscripts as your EMR. Well, a lot of times uh, you don't have direct access into these applications because you don't want patient information easily transferred to your laptop or to your cell phone because that could be very compromising yes um yeah so we put in software solutions like citrix that broker the connection in the middle so it allows for like compliances to healthcare regulations Um, you can put in enhanced security features so that you can prevent data leaks to come out um, and it also simplifies like you don't have to install the software on your laptops or on your phone so you can connect without having to worry about that um, any point in time. Oh, so it's, wow. Uh, so you kind of take that into like all other major uh, organizations and that's how you would use us. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. Again, things I never think about, but someone has to do them. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. It's there. Um, okay. That's great. So, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I'm not in the medical field, but I, as you were explaining it, I can definitely see it in my head, right? Like just software systems that you need like that personal, or what is that? Private access or security access yeah. into something. Um, yes. So Citrix does a lot of different softwares, but you're just saying that those are some of the ones that are familiar to people. Yeah. Possibly. Okay. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So let's go back to what you were saying. So now you're a pre-sales mm. engineer manager. Is that right? Mm, correct. Yeah. Okay. That's so, right. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is this title? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, no, it's so in pre-sales, there are probably four functions that we deal very regularly in. Um, so the first thing is we are what we call like a, a technical consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of work with our customers before they buy our solution. We want to talk to them and understand, well, what are the problems you're facing? Mm-hmm. And this could be both from the IT team or it could be from an actual business unit Um Right. And so it's like, for example, the systems we provide, 
the people that are using it at the end, like in the healthcare system, like the healthcare example, mm-hmm. it's usually doctors and nurses who are having to use us on a regular regular basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, we have to be consultants and we have to understand, well, what are your employee challenges? And then also from a IT side, what are your challenges and what are you trying to fix? Um, that being one. And then we also have to be technologists. So like we can't just know Citrix. When we talk to a customer, they want to know a true like end-to-end solution. So there might be gaps in the solution that there, it's not something Citrix can do, but we can play an advisory role on how it could be done. Um, and this next part is probably the best part, but like once you kind of bundle that all together, you have to go back and present this information back, which is the storytelling piece is how do I make what I know we can help you fix and make it relevant to you? So being able to storytell that. Um, and the last part, which is probably not the most glamorous portion of this job, uh, some people love it, but it's a bit of what we call the sales because we do have sales in our title. Um, so part, like I am, for example, a lot of pre-sales engineers are on a partial sales commission base role. So I have a base on the sales side, but my sales typically is making sure I have good, um, relationships with my customers and keep that open, not so much on the actual dollars and figures and the commercial piece, but making sure I keep good communications with my customer. I'm proactively working with my partners. Um, internally, we're making sure that when we talk to our product managers, I'm very proactively raising up what we need because our customers need it today. And we might not be able to fulfill that. Mm, okay. Okay, so um, as far as clients go, like, are you responsible Mm -hmm. for finding these customers or clients or does your company help you do that? Um, So our company does help us do that. Okay. Uh, So we, I think a lot of large software organizations will have what they call um, a demand generation team, a demand gen team. Yeah. So they do a lot of like... um, prospecting they go through customers you'll get databases of information that'll say customer xyz uses the following solutions and then we'll try to reach out if we have a good fit or maybe we're going to compete um the other things we do are probably talk with uh citrix rarely sells directly to a customer it's in a resale motion what is that oh that's great so (laughs) within uh within our industry um, so Citrix as a company, we were about 10,000 employees globally. Okay. Um, now the problem with that is there's not enough people on the ground to actually talk to every customer that's out there. Mm. So, uh, similar to like how you have those brick and mortar stores, there's a reseller in the middle selling products in uh-huh, retail uh-huh. for us. It's very common in the tech industry to have a reseller in the middle uh. where we work with and they resell our solutions that makes sense. Yeah. That's yeah. efficient. It's, <laughs> we, uh, yeah. And we, and we need it. We need it, honestly, mm. because of like language requirements. So like, oh, sure, I'm based in Singapore. Yes. Um, we have an office in Korea. We have an office in Japan, China. Like, but we just don't have enough people who have all that skill set or that relationship with those customers. Right. Um, right. Being one. And okay. also legal reasons. Mm. Uh, legal and financial reasons. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. I'm sorry, my face and my <laughs> vocabulary is me. Like, uh, I'm not familiar with the tech world at all, um, but I find it always extremely fascinating. And this is me trying to just piece together everything that you're saying at one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, no worries. Um, but um, this is so great. Um, Kevin, so you had mentioned before and you started talking about it, but you said um, your management role is in this like Southeast Asia? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so the region, we call it ASEAN, which is a association of like Southeast Asian nations. Oh. So yeah, so my particular patch or region uh-huh. that I cover uh-huh. Uh-huh. is everything Southeast Asia related. Okay, okay. so um, as a, in a management role, are you managing a team of people or what does that mean? Yeah, no, that's great. I have a nine direct reports in my current role. And um, in Singapore, I have about five team members here. And then the other four are based out of um, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines. Um, So they're a little bit spread out uh, in that sense. 
So okay. sorry, that means I have six in Singapore. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, um, I want to ask you about your management role, but before I do that, sure. Um, so you know, you were going through kind of some of the details of what your title kind of means but what does a typical mm-hmm. day look like for you then is it like in pieces of what you were saying or mm. does it look different every day yeah <laughs> um so it's uh i, I feel like the day, every day is a little bit different mm. I, I do feel like every day um and so like i'll say this i think there's like an 80 20 percent role i think there's a 20 percent of my job that is very repetitive and very okay. cyclic and it's okay. like and those are things like I have one-on-one meetings with my direct reports. Maybe they're having some challenges with a current opportunity. So we kind of, uh, we have just conversations on like, all right, what are some of the next steps we could take? Um, or like career progression conversations with them mm. um, and things of those nature. Or like maybe they need assistance with something. Um, they might be missing a sales rep at the moment. And so to cover a patch, it's tough. So I try to help out with what I can and offload stuff. Um, so that's like the normal stuff or you know, paperwork. And then the other 80% is a little bit different. 80% of the time I am, um, you know, strategically planning out, hey, with an account that is willing to spend multi-million dollars with us, mm-hmm. uh, no one's just going to whip out that cash and say, here you go, we're buying your software. Sure. There's a lot of planning and um, strategy before that. So what are some of the challenges this customers have? What is going on in industry? Uh, what were their financial statements like? Do they have a budget or plan set out aside? And then you have to talk to the IT team or get mm-hmm. to the C-level executives. So um, I always enjoy talking to like the C-level executives. So it, I think everyone here is about a CEO or a COO. Um, but in tech, we also have C-level executives for the uh the CTO, who's the chief technology officer, who runs the general strategy of technologies used in the organization wow, um but okay. that yeah yeah so then we also have like a chief security officer or information security officer so you have cso's ciso's um cio so like there's a lot of there's another half of the c-level executives that are very mm. direct touch with security and technology relate related topics or um focus areas mm, um and so we try to plan out how to engage with them yeah okay okay Man, there's a lot of planning and I feel like a lot of strategizing for, especially with such big, um, like clients and customers. Yeah, it is. So So it's huge because like, um, we're in about globally, I would say if we look at like the fortune 100, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know which is the 1% we're not in, but we're in 99% of fortune 100. So I've yet to find out like, who's the one, yeah. <laughs> one customer in that 100 that we're not in. Um, but like when you're talking to these customers and you're, you're trying to sell a multi-million dollar deal, um, sales cycles typically take anywhere from like nine to 18 months, depending on who you're talking to. And so like, um, that's why like there's so much planning because mm. everything needs to fall in the right place okay. to get that to close. Um, and that's a lot of work. Like if you're going to put six people, eight people on this opportunity and it's going to take nine to 18 months to close, uh, that's a lot of commitment up front. Right. So, uh, so like, yeah. do you, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I know with any kind of work, there is its own stress and pressure that mm-hmm. goes along with it, but from what it sounds like, you know, in this management role and having these big client or big, what do you call the not clients? What do you, what am I trying to say? Sales, customers, uh, opportunities. So okay, we yeah, have big these opportunities. opportunities yeah, like yeah. is there an added stress and pressure for you, like as as the person trying to sell this product? Um, yeah. So numbers is a really big pressure. So. Uh-huh. Um, especially in the sales organization. So my my sales engineers, um, they're they're also stressed out of other numbers because mm-hmm. that's like the the performance of their patch. Sure. And so and also their their pay and their compensation. So like their part of their livelihood is based on mm-hmm. if I sell enough software, then then I can make my um, my pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's one of the challenges. But it's we usually have a blend. So there is a mix of these strategic opportunities, these long-term deals that we work on. Um, and then what we also call run rate deals, which are like, you know, a customer has already bought us. Uh, maybe they have 
like uh, valves and licenses or something. And um, something like a pandemic hits and they say, you know what? I need to put everyone at home. But that means I need like another 500 licenses. And so that's what we call run rate. They just say, hey, give me 500 licenses. We already know your solution works. We just need to expand it. So there is some of that to help buffer oh, wow. that stress of that number. I, interesting. Yeah. So I guess the <laughs> pandemic was like in your favor kind of. Um, in the, in those were, situations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in those situations, yes. Um, you know, like very humbling and, you know, we're very, um, you know, we, we don't want to take advantage of the situation, but I oh, know no, we yeah, were in I a know. very sorry, privileged. Oh, no, yeah, I know. Sorry, that came off wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, because uh, it's, I'm sensitive because, like, I, some, of my te- uh, some of my friends who are in tech, they weren't as fortunate based on what they were working sure, on. Sure, sure. some of those things. And so, like, we know we were just, we were very privileged um, mm. and we were very fortunate and so, uh, you know, that's one thing, you know, we, we realized, um, and it was, and it, it did like, it was so busy last year mm. and I haven't figured out last year was busy because, you know, the increase in demand versus like shifting everyone to work from home and then, right, right. you know, like figure out how to work, like, what is my balance working from home? And, um, you know, I, I went through like a whole elaborate desk reconfiguration to get to what I wanted. Right, um, right, yeah. And, and I would sure. imagine working in sales like and working from home like uh, one of the biggest issues that I, as talking to a lot of career professionals during mm-hmm. the pandemic has been like the lines start to blur, right? And you can't really yes. separate your home mm-hmm. life and your work life. And I'm, I would imagine in sales like you're constantly working with clients oh, yeah. and people. And then it's like, if you're home on top of that, it just kind of never stops. Like you could, you yeah. could just keep working, you know? You could. Um, you man, it's a heavy year yeah. for you guys. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, you, gotta, you have to avoid the burnout. Um, you know, the first three months is like, all right, guys, like we're going to rally together a team and we all in the same boat. We're going to do a lot of virtual happy hours and you're in sales. So people are going to be drinking. And then after that, like month four, month five, you know, people start blurring the lines right. and, um, and that's, and you have to start taking back control of mm-hmm. your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so I purposely like now block out blocks of time in my calendar for just me, even though I don't have a meeting, it's an hour and a half of catch up on this, an hour and a half catch up on this. And twice a week, I'll block out my lunch hours because um, I don't just work with my Southeast Asia team. I also cross collaborate with people in Australia or India. And between that, I have about a three and a half hour time zone gap. Yeah, I so I try say, to block that's out. Crazy. <laughs> 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 oh, man. So, yeah. Um, well, then even more so, I appreciate your time today. Like, oh, no, a, no worries. It's a Saturday where you are. <laughs> no, all good. All um, good. Well, okay. Well, I'm curious to hear about, so how long have you been in Singapore then? Um, I've been here oh, about two and a half years now. I'm just looking at the date. I'm trying to figure out, but okay, August of this year will be my third year in Singapore. Oh, wow. And then you're originally, I did you mention before we started recording, you, you're from Florida? Yeah, so I was, uh, so whichever is more convenient for me at the time, I always, I, I'm born in New York. So okay. I was born in New York City uh-huh. um, and I lived there a few years. So when it's convenient, I tell everyone, yeah, I'm from New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it's the other way, maybe we're talking about it. like, Maybe we're talking about SDC. We're talking about football. I'm like, yeah, like I, I, I was born, I was raised up in Florida. So whatever plays to my advantage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so then um, you were working with Citrix while you were living in the States and then uh, they transferred yes. you. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So like, actually, so my movie anniversary to Singapore uh-huh. is my, is the same anniversary as when I started at Citrix. It just kind of happened oh, that way. Wow. Um, so come August of this year will be 10 years for me at Citrix. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. So, yeah. um, I mean, I would feel like that's a big move on for me, but <laughs> were you like totally for it or how, when they presented this opportunity to you, what was your reaction? Um, yeah. So the funny thing was I initially had thought I was not going to be I initially didn't think I was going to get the role. Um, mm. <clears throat> so when this position was posted, 
it was it was it was internally announced that this role was open. And my one of my mentors, uh, and also he's quite uh, quite senior to me. Okay. Um, he had in mind a few people that would be, I think, good for this role in Singapore. Um, he was looking at like a good career progression opportunity. Some people have been in their current roles, you know, maybe three or four years that he just wants to shake it up and get people out a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not in that list because I think I had just, I had been moving around a bit internally doing different things already. Um, so when I raised my hand up and I talked about it, you know, the conversation was, oh, you know, you're, I didn't even think you'd be interested or I didn't think about you for this role. Um, but he became one of my biggest supporters for the role. Oh, wow. Which was great. Yeah. Um, but I knew the hiring manager is based in Asia. So even though he thought it was a great opportunity and a huge supporter, um, it really kind of depended if the hiring manager here would be open to the idea. Um, and, you know, bold move on the hiring manager here because he needed to hire someone with sales experience. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, like, actually, I've never done sales. Of this job role that you're asking me to do, I've done like 80%, but the 20% that's all sales, I've never done this before. Um, so before moving to Singapore, I had never done like a sales role. I had never carried a quota or had a commission. I was always full-time and salary-based. Um, so when I got the offer, I was a little stressed. And then I kept thinking like, is this the right thing I'm doing? Is this a good career progression for me? Wow. I'm leaving my family in mm. Florida and I'm moving all the way over here. So there were a lot of mixed emotions. And I had never been to Singapore before. Right. So like, I didn't have a chance to fly here to interview or you know, see what the city is like. Um, so I was, I was, I was extended an offer without having visited ever before. Wow. Okay. So like, just, I'm just so curious now. Cause I want to yeah. know, cause for me, that w- that's such a bold and brave move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, so you decided to take the job. Um, yeah. so like, was it difficult to kind of like transition to Singapore or are you like, is your personality just like, kind of like, yeah, let's do it. Or, um okay so (laughs) i guess i thought i did a pretty long pros and cons list it was not (laughs) it wasn't an immediate switch okay okay uh, yeah i sat down and some of my friends who might be watching this podcast later they'll they'll probably think oh god that's so him he would totally do that (laughs) Um, so i sat there and i created like a pros and cons list like Mm. what happens if i move here what happens if i don't move here Um, and i know so many things that i take into consideration like because I moved over to Singapore, I'm employed under Citrix Singapore or Asia Citrix, mm-hmm. um, which means my 401k stops in the U.S. Like I can keep it there, but I can't continue contributing to it. So, uh, you know, like when I was 25 and doing this, I probably would never have thought about that. But, you know, as I was sitting into like, as I was moving into 30, 31, I was like, you know what? I have this going here. I'm trying to build out my retirement mess. Um, I was thinking about buying a house at that point. Um and I had talked to my my family about, hey, maybe relocating to Atlanta because I was actually where I, Atlanta is still like the end state goal. Like that's where I kind of wanted to settle regardless. So oh, now suddenly that. that's been pushed. Yeah. So like Atlanta is like, Atlanta's like a good, happy medium. And I love the city. I love what it has to offer and the conveniences of it. So uh, now that's all pause. And I had just bought a car that was like a year and a half old. And I'm like, all right, now what I'm going to do about my car. So there were a lot of stressful things that came up. Mm. Um, and I, zero regrets. Like if I had to go back and redo that whole decision, I would do the exact same, what I just said. And like, I would have picked Singapore um, as my final decision going through this particular experience. Okay. Why do you say that? Is it because Singapore is great yeah. or the job's great or a combination mm. of the both? Um, it's a combination of the both. And it, the biggest thing here, I think, is like, um, there's only a certain portion of your life I feel like you can move around and try something different. And so, like, I feel like when you can do that at a younger age, um, and, I, and here's the thing, I still have colleagues who are in their 40s moving to Singapore, and they've uprooted their life and moved here. So, like, I think whatever you decide is your age. You know, you can move at any point in time. I think that's just a mental number in your mind. Um, so if you can do it, get it, because it's a really great experience mm-hmm. when you can do it. Um, and Singapore is easy because mostly you can get around in English. So language-wise, it's quite okay. Um, 
but you know there are there are like the mini conveniences of like if you go to a restaurant or like a hawker um maybe the auntie or the uncle there speaks more chinese so like sometimes you might have a little bit more advantage if you can speak another language here but the reality is it's a pretty large expat community here so it's relatively easy to move and get adjusted <clears throat> um and I will say, like, even if you move somewhere and you're not comfortable, you short of it being like just a bad move, but like if you sit there and you think back, you know, I am getting some experience, I'm learning something different, give it a year. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just have to give yourself a year, um, whether it's professionally and not, and try to maximize that experience. Because otherwise, I think you shortchange yourself if you don't give yourself a minimum of a year. And most people will give yourself like two or three years, like, mm-hmm. then you feel like you're really getting that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's really great advice because, um, I mean, not to say that people with families can't do bold and crazy things like move to another country, not to say that, but I will say that as somebody that has settled down in the suburbs of Atlanta with Mm -hmm. my two children, (laughs) you know, living comfortably, I, I do, I'm like, I don't know if I say I regret it, but I feel like uh, there are things that I've could have done at a time mm-hmm. where I was single that I can't yeah. do now, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, um, yeah, what you just said is totally right on point because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, why not? Why not? Yeah. Just why not? It. It, it really is. It is. Give it a chance. and Take a little bit of a risk. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of Asian households, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's unique more to me, but I feel like a lot of Asian households are risk adverse and like, oh, go for like, the safe route or like go for the thing that gives you the best consistency at least that's what my parents I felt like always said oh yeah Kevin we're putting you through school so you don't have to work at a Chinese takeout um you can't don't you dare go back into a restaurant life and the worst thing is I'm thinking like oh it'd be so great to open up like a restaurant (laughs) (laughs) um but like the things like that that are like all right you have to be a doctor a lawyer or this or a profession and um you know and it's I, I'm glad that like this generation is breaking out a little bit more and mm-hmm. trying different things. And um, yeah, we, we have a, a broader view on things that you can try and do. <clears throat> and it's hard moving with the family. I've seen colleagues here who've moved two or three kids. And so they're trying to figure out like international schools for them and scheduling. And uh, and just because you're moving, maybe the your spouse or your partner that you're moving with, like, one of you might have a job and one of you might not because maybe it's an internal move. So like, there's no guarantee that both parents would be working. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah definitely. Man, those are all things that goes on the cons list for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They really, they really Oh is. man. Yeah. That's so, yeah. That's, and I, and I don't think you're off base to say that, you know, majority of Asian households um, have that kind of mentality. Right. It's like, I mean, me, I'm a planner to a T and it's like, mm. I don't like, um, quote unquote failing, but I'm learning yeah. that failure is a good thing. You know, it's, it's oh, okay. Yes. It's good to fail and to learn. But, um, um, anyways, my point is, um, I think definitely what you were saying about how yeah we are older generations, they want to mm. see us succeed. And usually yes. in their minds, that means taking the safer route and i i agree with that i would i don't think you're off base in saying those kind of things but um kevin since you were talking about a little bit about your childhood and how you Mm. grew up and um i was wondering could you just take us back like to the beginning you know college (laughs) right out of high school um like what did you study and uh, what were your thoughts going into college um and what what it is that you wanted to do in the future yeah, um, so I graduated college, sorry, graduated high school, and then I went to um, University of Florida, um, and this is probably where that Asian mindset comes in very strong. My first semester, I declared um, chemistry as my major, okay. and I was going to go down a med track. I was planning okay. to go down medicine. Um, I don't think I knew any better, to be honest, and it was, I was, I was decent in chem, like mm. I did okay, to be honest. Um, and then I think at the end of year one, I was like, you know what, this, I don't think this is for me. I think this is something that's more like my family would like for me to do my parents. Oh, wow. My my sister is very different. My sister has always chartered her own course and done her own thing. So, uh, but mainly it's like my mom, 
the aunts and uncles out there and my cousins who have now started college already. Oh, and so-and-so is doing this or so-and-so is doing that. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I started off in chem major. Um, by the time I graduated, I had gone through four majors because I couldn't find something that I really liked. That's crazy. Um, four? <laughs> yes. Yes. I had gone through and declared. I had, I had uh, declared that I had temporarily declared accounting. Okay. And then I was like, wow, this is not for me either. And then um, because I was getting to my junior year or like late sophomore year, you have to declare some sort of major. You can't just keep floating around. Um, so I temporarily declared East Asian studies just to like give me some break and like figure out what I what I wanted to do. Um, and then I ended up in finance as my undergrad. Okay. So I, um, and I did okay. Actually, I, I did enjoy finance, but um, you know, I never had aspirations to be like an investment banker. Okay. And um, as we were graduating, or as we were getting towards and closer to graduation, those were some really rough years. I think it was like 2007, 2008. So it was a big global recession that was happening. Yeah, it was a terrible um, time for a lot of people. It was, yeah, it was it was rough. Like, and you would remember, like, yeah. people who got job offers graduating, their offers were rescinded and pulled. Yes, I had a friend who went through that. Terrible. Yeah, um, and I had a friend that went through that, and she actually went back to school. She went back to UF. And she was doing her master's and she landed in this um, degree called um, information systems. And so then she was like, hey, Kevin, like, if you want, you should try a couple of these classes. I think you would really like it. Um, and a lot of people actually ended up loving the information system classes and ended up doing that as my master's. So we had a program in undergrad where you could start your master classes in your senior year. Oh, Wow. That's yeah. Cool. So, so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up taking some of my master classes my senior year, and then I continued. So I just continued with the master's program and got my master's after like um, undergrad and master's together was five years total. So that was the nice part was like, there that's are these it? programs out there. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it. Um, oh man, I should have got, cause I, I did five years at Georgia or, but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh go dogs by the way (laughs) 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 but um uh but I'm like oh wow that's that's awesome that's awesome okay so you got your master's in information systems then yes yes very cool so what did you love about these classes um information systems was a lot more tech focused and so like we had to learn um, a little bit around coding. So we did like C-sharp, we did object-oriented coding, um, which was something I hadn't thought about. Like I'd see my friends who were in like the comp sci engineering and I'm like, no, like that's probably not something I would enjoy. But this was a great happy medium because it was, uh, uh, the, the original idea I think around this was that I would go into something that would kind of be the middleman between who is actually writing the program versus like, a business that says, I need something to do X, Y, and Z. Typically, there is a communication gap between the business and the actual engineer. Um, it's maybe too technical for the business unit to understand or explain, but usually you have someone in the middle that is a good translator and okay. a good, um, you know, who can take the requirements and go back to the engineer and say, this is what the customer actually needs, X, Y, Z, oh, and then in reverse. Okay. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. That's cool. Man. So um, this master's program, is it like something, mm-hmm. do you know um, if this is something that is available like nationwide or is this like particular mm-hmm. to UF or? I, I don't think it's particular to UF. Uh, okay. If you look like in any other, any university you go to, there's a good chance that there's some sort of a partnership with the undergraduate um college advisor and the master's program. Okay. Um, right. And so like there are constantly looking for candidates. <clears throat> Depending on the type of master's you're getting though, you might need to have some sort of a real work experience. Like I think it makes sense if you're getting your MBA uh-huh. to have a few years of working experience I see. before you pursue that. Um, it, I think in any master's it helps, <clears throat> but because of the economic times at the time we were at, um, it helped me also delay having to look for a job in that 2009 timeframe where 2008, 2009, where it was, the economy was just so bad. 
Um, so it gave me a chance to kind of delay that job pursuit, <clears throat> but it gave me a chance to obtain a skill set that was very relevant um, okay. as I was looking for a job. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you got that's I mean, and then after, you know, when it's you're ready to apply for jobs too, you yeah. have that master's degree already. But so are you yeah. saying that there's no undergrad program for this? Um, <laughs> there is there okay, is actually okay. undergrad program as well oh, okay okay um yeah and I just wasn't aware of it so I I wish I had been more aware of it mm. to be honest but um you know what was interesting is like having learned a lot of things in finance as part of my undergrad um learning how to build out business models um learning about how to understand like flows of funds coming in and out it actually gave me a good sense like when I moved into consulting, um, or even in right now, my current role as a sales engineer, when I take business outcomes that I'm looking for, when someone says, hey, I'm looking to do a cost reduction of XYZ, I actually can build out a model or understand that model better, um, which is my finance background. Wow. But when they start saying like, what's available? How does this work technically? Then my information systems background comes in and it really helps give me both worlds I can look at or talk into. No, yeah. I mean, I'm like in awe because that just seems like a perfect marriage of the two for your particular yeah. position and your job. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So like after graduating, um, mm. did you know what kind of job you were looking for or how does that work in when in the tech world? I'm not really sure. Like, yeah. I mean, I would imagine you just, you know, go search for available jobs. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So the funny thing was when I... <clears throat> Just as I was about to graduate, like my final semester, um, my my aspiration at the time was, oh, this would be great. I'm going to apply for a job at the treasury and I'll work in the IT department for the treasury because you can't get more finance and tech. And um, <clears throat> I bombed that interview. I bombed it so hard. Like um, the United States treasury? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. The U.S. Treasury. I yeah. I would never imagine someone wanting to apply there, but that's cool. That's you're yeah. so cool, Kevin. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> even though no you bombed right. it, like I just feel like even the goal of doing that is is yeah. saying a lot about a person. But anyways, okay, continue. You you didn't yeah. do well at the interview. <laughs> no, I didn't do well, and, and and it's okay. Because like I'm, <clears throat> things happen for a reason. You know, whatever it is. Absolutely. You know, yes. There's always a reason. Um, so I ended up finding another opportunity in, um, South Florida, <clears throat> um, which was with Office Depot. And I did end up working in their back in like their IT department, um, uh, but more on the operation side. So what was nice was like everything I learned through information system was so very relevant with mm -hmm. what I was doing there. Mm -hmm, <clears throat> mm -hmm. And so I was more of a, um, I think the easiest way to put it was like an IT business analyst. Um, so the role that was there, and I was looking at how you can help improve some of the processes that they were doing, um, what were the tech systems they were using, and then, and it's also a big retail, I mean, Office Depot is basically a retail organization, so a lot of what they're doing impacts the retail stores or their online retail, um, so at the same time, there's a lot of finances that are coming in. Um, okay. I did touch so much on that, but like, I can see where it's all very related, and um I'm sorry, Kevin, can I just interrupt you yeah. real quick before you yeah. continue? Um so uh I want to assume I know what you mean by like IT and like your your IS ma like master's degree like played a big part. But I kind mm. of am realizing I don't think I really know what that is. Like uh, okay. What like, information systems does. Yeah. Yeah, and like I and IT. I mean, I know you mentioned it's like the in-between between like coding and, and the other mm. stuff, but could you explain just a little bit more? Is that possible? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, definitely. Um, IT is a very broad name, by the way. I, IT is like, IT is like saying, oh yeah, I'm in healthcare or like, yeah. oh yeah, I, it's, it's, it's literally that broad. Uh -huh. It's that broad. So like when we talk about IT, um, so information systems, typically someone who's dealing with, um, this is so bad, but we're, we say we're dealing with systems. But these are like back end. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're back they're back end like large software systems that exist. Okay. Um, okay. So like you know, um, I, I don't know if you're using like Verizon. I'll, I'll use Verizon as an example. Verizon's been around a really long time, but you know, for them to have their customer record management systems that they have, 
or for them to use okay. their billing systems. Um, those are what we call as systems in okay, the tech okay. world. I see, I see. Yeah. Okay. And then so um, for Home Depot, yeah. you're saying for Home Depot, you were doing a lot of their... Uh, ah, Office Depot. Oh, sorry. Office Depot. <laughs> Actually, no. My sister says the same thing all the time. Oh, yeah. Didn't you work at Home Depot? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. It's you okay, know what's okay. funny? When you said it, though, I registered in my head as Home Depot, but and I thought, oh, oh isn't Home Depot based here in Atlanta? Is what I was thinking. But, yeah, yeah. but okay, sorry. Office Depot. No, um, yeah. You were working in their IT department. Uh, their IT department, yeah. Um, and I was actually on their operations team. So, actually, what I was handling was I was handling their help desk. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So we had the level one help desk engineers, the help desk um, providers, you know, you call in, hey, I have an issue. They help tr- troubleshoot. Now, every large organization has their back in IT. So like when you have a problem with your computer, you call in mm-hmm. or, hey, my register, my point of sale system is down. You call into IT I and see. your back in IT helps. Um, and so my job was actually managing the IT system and figuring it, it, managing the help desk portion um because we were getting like you get like massive like thousands of calls in a month and that translates into like dollars per hour or per minute that you're losing and so like what do you do to help reduce that or improve that or help that go down so i was kind of that's what i was analyzing at the time oh that's cool now i understand a little better okay so it's a little bit different yeah Okay, so then after that, what happened? Yeah. After your stint at home, I mean, Office Depot. <laughs> 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 Did it again. <laughs> no worries. The third time's a charm. It'll happen again before oh, this gosh. time. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, don't worry. Not at all. And so what happened afterward was um, at that period of time, it was, a, it was also kind of tough to get full-time employment opportunities. Oh, okay. um, so I was actually there on as a contractor. Now, I didn't have like a fixed end date to my contract or anything. Um, so I was there as a contractor and um, about six, seven months in, th- this is where I, I look back, you know what? I'm very happy with the decision I made. But about six or seven months, I decided, you know what? This isn't for me the long run. So I should start looking around. And because I'm already in South Florida, let me see what's open in South Florida. Um, and so then... I touched on my resume. I updated with the new things that I had done at Office Depot. And then I started applying around. Um, Citrix came up and it's one of the biggest software companies in South Florida. Mm. So um, I thought, why not? Like, let's see what they have. Where's the opportunities that are there. And um, it was an online application and I applied to an operations role. And uh, in my mind, like, because I've been in IT, I was like, oh yeah, I know what IT operations is. Um, I interviewed with the recruiter and 15 minutes in, I stopped him. I said, Hey, I'm so sorry. I think I've applied to the wrong job. And while I had taken as operations, I was assuming it was the IT operations, X, Y, Z. And and the conversation stopped. He goes, no, I really thought this was a very odd, like we're having a really great conversation, but in my mind, I kept thinking like your resume doesn't match up exactly, but (laughs) But it was worth having a conversation. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, I know it's been 15 minutes and I don't want to, I don't want to waste your time. And uh, and I said, it was very sincere. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, I, I don't want us to go down to the rabbit hole. It's not something I want to do. Um, and I was like, well, can I pass your resume to another manager who might be interested? Um, and it was the manager in consulting. And at this point, I had no idea what consulting really was. So... Um, that was how my resume got passed. I interviewed with the consulting team there and, um, I think it worked out really well because the more I heard about it, the more I was like, oh, wow, like this sounds like what I wanted to do before, but like, I still don't quite know because everyone that's in consulting, it's, you see like movies about consultants, people are flying here. They're in like their power suits when they come and leave, et cetera. Um, but IT consulting is very different. It's not like that at all. Um, you get all the travel and the perks around that. You get to talk to all different industries, which is great. Um, and so I felt very fortunate that like at month six, month seven, I knew this was, I was not going to be happy with this mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to get a conversion to a full-time employee. So that kind of pushed me to know like, Hey, I'm not in the best off situation. 
I don't want to close off what's available to me. So let me start looking now. Mm. Um, and so I was very lucky to interview with consulting. And then that's how I got into Citrix. I moved to Citrix as a entry-level consultant. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, what sticks out to me about that story, though, is like, you know, that first recruiter that you're talking to that you had this genuine conversation with. And I just feel like you were probably just being yourself. And they just... <laughs> no, and, and honestly, and I feel like, you know, they probably felt like, hey, this guy has something to offer and I don't want to put him in a place that, you know, maybe we're missing out. Citrix is missing out yeah. too. And um, yeah. I mean, would you would you say that that's maybe what it was? Because for me, it's like, you know, people miss out on opportunities all the time. But I, mm. I feel like because they're nervous or they're, you know, um, scared of new things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think made that recruiter pass your resume on? Um, I I like to think how you put it so nicely, Blair. Oh, he must have saw something like you yeah, doing no, good I hire. think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I think that that's that's a very true statement. Mm-hmm. So like, um, I've done a lot of college recruiting. So like, after I started with Citrix and Consulting, um, we we have a huge recruiting, a university recruiting program at Citrix. Um, so I got I was very lucky. I was tapped to ask to help go out and do college recruiting, talk to students. Um, and several times we just got candidates, you know, who came and talked to us. And I said, wow, like consulting is not for this person, but we'll be so good if this manager or was this person was in this person's team. Wow. And so like, um, a lot of times, like, you know, if you're doing by good, like you want to hire good people, whether they're good fit for your team or not, you just, because at some point you might be working with them. Um, but also like you care about the company you work for, you want to recruit talent and you want to like help people out and get them in those right roles because they're also just very genuine and you know it's university recruiting it's scary it is so scary like i've i've talked to the college students and i say hey you know what i think i know you're nervous but like just take a quick like 30 second breather like i've been in your shoes i know what it's like so um just we'll just have a really good conversation and um you know don't worry about it so i've seen that and it's tough so sometimes it's good to just see an opportunity given out yeah, no, that's great. That's great that you say that. And the fact that you've even experienced the recruiting process, because I'm sure, you know, people looking, listening right now, looking for jobs, they're thinking like, what, what is it? What do I need to do differently? Do you have any other than just, you know, being genuine and being, I feel like, uh, in the moment, right? Like yeah. not missing that yes. moment of talking to somebody. Do you have any mm-hmm. other advice when it comes to, um, yeah, those types of, like looking for a job? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, so many because I did this for, I helped recruiting out for like three or four years easily. So like a lot of things around like preparation, um, that's a huge piece. I think like I've, I've gone to so many different yeah. preparation is huge. There's so many colleges that uh, have like career resource centers where they're really, there's a lot of time being put in helping you make your resume better. Um, and for everyone that's out there laughing about, oh, I don't want to go to that resume workshop, you're missing out. Like you have no clue how how far and how bad you're missing out. Yeah. You should take advantage of that. Yeah. Like looking back and I'm thinking like, no, absolutely. Because you'll look back and say, oh, the people who got jobs and they're doing what they're, they took advantage of all the resources available. Mock interviews, people who go like, oh, like I could interview well, I work well under pressure. Nothing like preparing and practicing for interview because you're bound to get some question that will throw you off mm. and or you haven't heard, you haven't thought about, but like if you've practiced going through mock interviews, it helps so much more. Um, and the reality is like when you're going through an interview, like your interviewer doesn't expect you to know every question. Mm. Honestly, there's going to be bound something where you have to pause and stop and ask a clarification or something. Um, so that's one thing. And um know the role that you're applying for like you're if you have friends you can reach out to you kind of understand the role a little bit better that helps a huge Mm, amount um it's all part of your preparation and like do you know you want to do this and how does this work and what are are my plans around this etc yeah no i mean real talk you guys like <laughs> don't go it into something. Is. Yeah, don't go into something thinking you already got it because yeah. chances are you don't. You know, I mean, yeah. that's just real. And I feel like yeah. um, 
I mean, I don't really know, but just looking at the like at younger generations today, I I feel like there is this kind of um, entitlement that happens. I could be pushing boundaries right now. Don't at me, people. But like, but no, I mean, in all honesty, I I guess I just kind of get that vibe sometimes that um, yeah, there's like an entitlement stance mm-hmm. a little bit, and I think. There could be, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen it and experienced it firsthand, the lack of preparation on some people. And then you're kind of yes. like, well, why are you here? You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and remember, every interaction with the organization is a interview, like before you're hired. Um, and so like I had, um, I recently, we were looking for someone within Southeast Asia, a sales rep. They had a conversation with my um, sales engineer, so one of my direct reports. In the conversation, it came to me when I was debriefing with my sales engineer. Oh, yeah, when the person found out that I wasn't the sales engineer manager and I was just the sales engineer, they completely just disengaged. Mm. And I was like, I was like, no, that's terrible because you know, I don't know if that person knew, but they would be working together very extensively. Right. You know, so I'm right, like, yeah. that's not a great way. So just yeah. remember like every interaction, you know, no, yeah, every this interaction. Is, is this is great advice. And I feel like um, in, in my comment about, you know, a younger generation being entitled, I didn't, I didn't oh. mean it like that. But what I, what yeah. I really do want to say is that I feel like a lot of people come on this podcast and truly give genuine advice and experience <clears throat> from their own lives on how, um, yeah, they can help people listening. And so, <clears throat> Kevin, I'm really thankful that for your honesty just now, oh, yeah. um, no sharing that. And the millennial thing, I think the generation thing, um. I get it. I've seen it. I, I really have. It's like <laughs> um, we're we're in the millennial generation, but like, yeah. and honestly, we're quote unquote we're the Oregon Trail portion of the <laughs> of that of the millennial generation. Um, but it was very interesting because when I did college recruiting, I did have those two years where I felt like the people I was talking to, the college kids and the university candidates, they were that extremely entitled. Mm. Uh, portion because um I, I, so for example interesting right yeah so typically <laughs> i think like like people your age my age like plus minus two years still within that millennial category um we don't have that entitlement perspective not as much and then you get to a few years younger maybe six seven years younger than us and i feel like that just where did this come from so um, and then after that it goes away again it it, it decreases again so i think uh, part of it like is it's not just the kids and the parents it's not just the kids it's also the parents like you know don't Yogurt. don't and entitled your kids <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying my best you know with my own children but but um well kevin i appreciate again all your time today um before we wrap up our time together uh, i was wondering um can you share with me maybe something that you uh don't like about your job your least favorite thing oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, I this is this will always be part of thing of any management role, but I I generally do not enjoy putting someone through like um, what we call a PIP, like a performance improvement plan, oh. um, and it is you're messing with someone's livelihoods or et cetera. But um, the reality though is uh, what I've come to terms with, this is what I've come to terms. So like, sometimes you have to put someone on a plan because they're not delivering, they're not performing up to standards, et cetera. Um, and I've come to terms with it in the sense that they probably don't want to be put in a position where they're constantly getting scrutinized 24 mm. seven. They're constantly being told, Hey, you need to do this slightly different because they're probably not going to be in a happy situation. Um, it's a very uncomfortable situation to have. Um, and true to our generation i'm also a big harry potter fan and i've always told people the first time i put someone on a plan and someone and the first time i had to let someone go it was a bit of like it was a bit of like a horcrux situation where like you felt like a piece of you dies like and then yeah, yes, and then you start realizing like it, it's tough like it, it pulls at you um but then you start eventually realizing like that person that has left has found something that they're happier with actually mm. and now they're flourishing and what they can do better in. Um, it's still a very uncomfortable process, sure, regardless I how mean, you put it. 
it's extremely tough to tell someone they're yeah. not doing a good job. So I, yeah. I, I would imagine that's extremely challenging. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, then you have to tell me then before we go, what is mm-hmm. the thing you like most about your job? <laughs> well, I'm on a very dark note. Um, so no, I uh, the things that I really enjoy about what I get to do is um, I do get to work with some very, very smart and brilliant people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and um, my passion around technology. So like, I, I know I'm just, I'm very lucky to be working in an industry where I have a strong passion in and, um, you know, and I get to see what's new, what's coming down, where is the technology sector evolving? Um, I do a lot of customer facing events, which I've always found like, I, I've done this test multiple times. I, I am not a, um, you know, I'm not naturally like a social person. I'm not naturally an extrovert. I'm a practice extrovert. By nature, I'm an introvert. Um, okay, because I was I was gonna yeah. say you don't, it doesn't seem that way, but <laughs> yeah, this comes from years of practice, a whole year of remote webcam, yeah, and yeah. Uh, talking to people. Um, so it's I, I love being able to talk to a customer on a direct level, and I love being able to say, hey, how can technology help your business, and how can you do something differently? Wow. Um, and because you start seeing the impacts, so like. My personal interests have always been healthcare and education. So, like, mm-hmm. how can technology help healthcare? How can technology help education? Um, and so, like, when we have a great success story and you have hospitals calling you back, or you know, education students saying, "Hey, you know, this worked out really well. We're seeing the following things that are improving." It's um, it's very fulfilling in that sense. Wow. Yeah. No. It sounds like, and I um, as you're talking, I didn't even realize. Um, like the bigger purpose and heart for your, what it is that you do. Um, and even just your, I mean, just the, you know, in my head, it's just like, Oh, technology is important and we all need it. But, um, you know, the question that you ask, like, how can we help, you know, mm-hmm. and make your lives easier is like, yes. um, so awesome. So awesome. And yeah. then you can do something about it, which is even cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the last thing I want to ask mm-hmm. is, do you have any advice for somebody that um, is maybe thinking about, oh, maybe this job is is something I might be interested in or even just um, any life advice at all? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you if you have the ability and you're you're in a good position, um, take a risk. Try something uncomfortable. It's I, I wish I had taken more risk, you know. Mm-hmm being one, um, trying something new. And if there's a job that you're interested in, then um, have like a real, real, real talk with yourself. Like, where am I qualified? How am I qualified? And um, your preparation when you kind of go into this opportunity um, is I always, this is something I, like my niece is about to go into college. So we had a lot of these conversations and it's, you know, like while there's one of you applying, there's several of you who are probably applying. And so the goal is like, if you really want something, you want to be able to stand above your peers or the people who are applying as well. Um, so tr- when you're trying something new, if you're going to try it, try it to the best of your ability. Don't give it like a half-hearted attempt. Um, this is not just you who half-hearted. The person that you're interviewing with can also get that feeling. And they'll say, you know what, why? Um, and so try it out, you know, put your best effort forward. Um, take a risk. If it means moving and you have the means to do it, try it. If mm-hmm. you know, And if it's not right now, there are so many opportunities that are global right now and you don't have to physically relocate. So try something out different um, and don't be afraid. That's, yeah. that's the biggest thing I can share. Yeah, no, I mean, all of that, I it hit its home for me, taking risks and mm-hmm. not being afraid that it's going to fail because what if mm-hmm. it doesn't? And what if it's yeah. amazing? So yeah. Um, all really great stuff. Thank you so much again for your time today, Kevin. It's been wonderful meeting you. Um, and thank you for my very first international interview. <laughs> no, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, Kevin, if there's anybody that maybe um, is like liked our conversation today, would you mind? Um, and, they, and they ask for more information about what you do. Can I put them in contact with you? Would that be okay? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Anytime. Um, you have my contact, you have my email. They're more than welcome to reach out. I have no problems. Like, you can tell I, I don't mind giving up a Saturday morning. Like I have yeah. coffee right here that I can drink. So I, I love having these types of conversations. Awesome. Right. Thank I'm sure you. more people out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much. Um, so guys, you heard it here. If you have more questions about what it is that Kevin does, um, he will make time for you even in Singapore. So please feel free to reach out and DM me through social media, or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com and I will get you connected. Um, all right, guys. Thanks again, Kevin. Until next time. Bye. Great. Thank you. Bye.